Welcome to The Strategist, episode 1053. I'm your host, Annalise Klingbeil, with you, as always, Stephen Carter and Corey Hogan. Good evening, guys. I like the first one. The first it's, take was way better. Well, that I, was so I didn't energy. like it as much. That's why I said, let's do yeah. it again. Guys, the yeah. issue is you can't all give me hand signals. <laughs> Doesn't I, well, work. In fairness, we just can. One you hand just signal. don't seem to be able to understand when we all give you a, uh, a hand signal and it's all different. Maybe, uh, so maybe this we gotta try a different. Problem. We gotta try a different strategy. It's been a few months, and you say I don't have as much pep as Zane in the intro. Do you do yeah. the hand signals for Zane? You know what we do for Zane? Tell me. Uh, we explain to Zane how it's gonna work every time. Literally, we have for eight years. <laughs> Told him exactly how it's gonna unfold, uh, and he he does not like it. He thinks yeah. that's that's a bad plan. So you know, it was, as much as you don't like this, I assure you the alternative is worse. One of those things that was kind of funny the first time and then not for the next 20 and then yeah. really funny every time and, after And that. now it's eight years later. Yeah. Yeah. And it's good to have hilarious. traditions, Annalise. Yeah. That's the important thing here. Yeah. 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 The listeners like that stuff and you care a lot. Well, they don't even them, see it. And that's so. what makes it great. Right? Like the the amount of stuff that we do that's fantastic that the listeners don't even know about. I mean, really, that's the like whole what, podcast. What else? It's all Carter? a rich tapestry. Uh, that was it. What that else? was literally the end of the list. <laughs> it's a rich tapestry, though. Oh, I mean, one like, thing. all yeah. the thinking that goes into this podcast, they don't know yeah. about that. They don't know how hard we work <laughs> on it to come up with the right stuff for them. Like, all the know. thinking. Yeah. There is yeah. there is a lot of thinking that goes into every episode. <sighs> yeah, I know. Seven I know. days until the Alberta election is called, gang. Yeah, that's we what we're talking about. about that's what we're yeah. talking about oh, tonight. We're, we're actually going to do a show. But okay. I don't, do you, want, do you want to do this small talk or should we move into our first segment? So guys, listen, I am six for seven in okay, my Okay, we're going to move into our first segment. <laughs> what this is a smart hell? move. Yeah. What the hell? Does does anyone besides you care about AFL? Yeah, like I'm getting like f- massive amounts of feedback on my three on two my people questions. <laughs> two people. I, I'm like, you know, I I ask the audience who I should who I should pick, and I listen to them. They love it. Oh, they love it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Sure. Okay. Okay. Yeah, they uh, really do. Moving on to our first segment. Our first segment is called "The Next Seven Days." Um, oh. Uh-huh. Yeah, it, Corey kind of predicted this. Smart, smart guy, Corey Hogan. You know, here I was asking what the topics were going to be, and Corey had already figured it out. You know, <laughs> he'd, he'd predicted it. Yeah. Uh, so we're one week out essentially from a May first writ drop. We're talking tonight, um, Sunday evening. Most people will probably be listening Monday morning, and so if they fast forward seven days, it's like it's writ drop day. Um, and we're going to spend time in the coming weeks using this Alberta election as kind of a case study um, for an election cycle. And so let's start that now. Let's start chatting about what these seven days before writ drop looks like um, for each campaign. So probably a lot here. It's going to be a super busy um, seven days. But Corey, because you predicted this as our first segment and Carter is not prepared, let's start with you. <laughs> Um, what what are the kinds of things like what are the what are the top priorities and we can kind of get into the nitty-gritty of different topics but like what are the top priorities right now for a campaign seven days before writ drop well these are my least favorite seven days in a campaign like the the anticipation before the the firing is just just the worst um i will say in my experience and maybe stevens has been different um that um 
the seven days before you think you're going to be more prepared and more ready than you are. Like there's just like all sorts of random things that come across your radar that you're like, oh shit, is that done? Oh my God, that candidate still doesn't have signs. Holy crap. Like how come that literature is still not here? I ordered that like eight weeks ago, you know? And, and so, um, it's a lot of, uh, anxiety. Have I forgotten anything? Have I gotten it all? And uh, it's going back and circling through and and checklist after checklist after checklist and preparation. And and in my experience, you're never actually as prepared as you want to be. Carter, how about you? Are they your least favorite week before? Uh, There's a lot of least favorite weeks. But yeah, I mean, we're now into the top five least favorite weeks of a campaign. Uh, So... The problem with this is that you just really don't know where it's going to go. I mean, Corey's right. This is the week of discovering problems. So several weeks ago, we would have put together the ground game, you know, pieces, who's going to be running which campaigns, who's, you know, pulling together all the campaign managers, making sure we've got all of that operating. Do You know, who's got digital media people pulling them all together? You know, all of that would have been done in the previous few weeks. So now what we'd want to be seeing is a, a functioning ground game. We'd want to be seeing people out uh, door knocking. We'd want to make sure that the volunteers were being contacted. All of these things that, you know, you don't want to wait for the main for the main event before you're making sure that the ground is working. Uh, the next thing is tour. You're going to make sure that your whole entire tour structure is scripted. We talked a little bit about this last week. Um it's all scripted in advance. Uh, that's not because it's all going to happen like that. But you need to know what you're switching away from. You need to know what your options are. You know, we had planned to have a talk. You know, to talk about the economy on the third last day. Oh well, this great opportunity is coming up on the eighth last day. Do we want to do that? You know, yes or no. We'll move this third last day event to the eighth last day. Advertising, most of the advertising booked. I mean, if you drive around, I'm sure anywhere in Alberta, you'll see. Um, ads for the UCP, ads for the NDP. And then there's this little niggly detail of policy, which I think that we put too much effort in. Uh, but I know most political parties uh, actually think that it matters. I think they're wrong, but um, they do spend an in- inordinate amount of time on it. And it's a great bugaboo of mine because I want them focusing on things that actually wins ele- win elections. And they want to focus on, you know, the political equivalent of pay- playing Dungeons and Dragons. What, what are those things that win elections if it's not policy? It's about reaction. It's about ground game. It's about setting the brand. It's about setting the question, right? Is the, you know, if the question is blank, then what, you know, then we win. If the question is this, then we lose, right? If the question, I would posit the following. If we are talking about healthcare at the end of this election, then the NDP win. If we are talking about the economy at the end of this election, then the UCP win. So, you know, like, how do you make, like, who the fuck cares what the policies are? I mean, no one can, no one can remember except Corey, because he's got a, this memory that's amazing. You know, last Sunday, the NDP released a policy on crime and safety. Does anybody remember it? Anybody talking about it? No, but it's going to be in their policy book. I don't, you know, I don't know why. <laughs> so what, um, what is the ballot box question? Like for this election, do you know it yet? Do you know it? Well, I you mean, know, that's, seven days out before Rick drops? that's fundamentally what the election's about. Like to, to Stephen's point, people think that campaigns are about wrestling over outcomes. They're not. They're about wrestling over the question itself. And if you can make people in Alberta think about the campaign in terms of 
which is the party I can trust most on healthcare? Well, then, yeah, the NDP win. And their job is to make that the question. And likewise, it's the UCP's job to make that not the question, to make the economy the question, to make fighting with Ottawa the question, the things that they know that they test better on than um, than the NDP. So um, a, a campaign is always about how you set a question that you are the natural answer to. And and so in this seven days before, you're sitting there with your your plans, which will all be blown up, and you are trying to determine how you are going to get people to feel that that is the question they need to have on their mind as they go into the campaign. So people do it differently. This is where you get into the the craft of it, the art of it as much as anything. I, I like to look at it in terms of, okay, week one's theme is this. So every day's announcement will be a policy about this or a story about this, right? So imagine it was a different era and imagine that healthcare was only one of the three weeks that you wanted to talk about. Maybe you'd have a, uh, you know, an announcement about funding on Monday and maybe you would have an announcement on foreign credentials for healthcare workers on Tuesday and perhaps you would have care in your neighborhood as the announcement on Wednesday and on Thursday you would have an announcement about, um, oh shoot, I don't know, like you're going to increase coverage so it's also going to include a certain amount of dental and then on Friday you do a bit of a recap but as a bit of a sweetener to the media so they still have something to write about. You also put in uh, the idea that everybody is going to you know, be guaranteed a, a certain level of care. Like you're, you're going to never have to wait more than six weeks for knee surgery or something like that. So every day you're doing something different. Every day you're in a different place with a different backdrop and a, you know, different skyscraper behind you, whatever it is, that's Tor's job. And you're saying something about a specific policy that wraps up into the theory of the week, that wraps up into the theory of the campaign. And the whole purpose of all of that activity underneath that ladders up is to tell a story uh, about what matters that you are already seen as the answer to in all likelihood. Carter, do you agree with that strategy? Yeah, I mean, I, I, he kind of snuck the word story in at the end. I, I was just writing story, story, story all the way through that. You were I taking think notes. Lot, wow. Yeah, well, uh, I had new. to. I didn't, I didn't know, even know you had I didn't a notebook. Know, I didn't know how long he was going to go before he, you know, needed he to stop for breath. He scratched it at the desk. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he does not have a notebook. Spoiler. I do today. Today I'm pretty <laughs> excited about it. You know, see, I'm, I'm making huh. notes. Uh, story underline. Uh, it is all about creating uh, a story that people will remember and that can, can identify with. Uh, too many people do what what Corey just kind of did and then fixed at the end. He, he listed off all of the tour activities, all of the uh, the policy announcements, the tour elements, the, no one thinks that way. No one thinks, well, I've just seen the, the, you know, this policy unfold in front of me and I really like it. No, what they want to see is the story that's related to that, right? So you have to be making sure at each of these areas or each of these announcements, you're actually making a story and you're thinking of things like what is the narrative from this, you know, from this announcement? What is the, uh, how are people going to interact with it? How are people going to see themselves in this story? Story. Well, who are the characters, right? So we would often talk about, you know, seniors, or we would talk about, um, you know, uh, moms who wake up with their kids at, uh, uh, you know, three thirty in the morning, just wondering what they should do. And you know, I think that th by answers giving, go back to bed, but yeah, keep going. Yeah, well, with the kids, man, you remember you've got kids. You may have to get up with them occasionally. Um, Zane complains all the time that that's all, that's all he does. I'm like, that's all he does. Yeah. Well, yeah. welcome to, welcome to fatherhood. Yeah. Whiner. Um, anyways, I, I just think that 
the the stories are the most important elements. And I think that that's still where both of these uh, campaigns struggle. Each of them has the announcement stuff down. I mean, to a degree, I, I think the the UCP is struggling to find anything vaguely resembling a narrative because they've been off track for so long. But the the NDP still has a difficult time relating things back to you and me and, and my parents and my friends. They, they have a difficult time relating things to story. And that's going to be their challenge over the course of the next uh, five weeks. Can they, in fact, create a story that people self- see themselves in as characters? Yeah, and you know what? Like, it's it's a great point, and I, I was I was more talking about those nuts and bolts in terms of mm-hmm. you've you've got a calendar, and you're saying like I'm going to be here on these mm-hmm. days, and in these weeks I'm going to be talking about these things, but it is all about story and those little pieces, those little tour events, those little op eds that you manage to get out there, the the rallies that you have on days where you don't really have anything to do besides a rally. Those are all means to an end, not an end in their own right. And Stephen's right; a lot of parties think that. The policy is the end, but the policy is a means to an end. It's, it's a, it is a small character in a story. And so the whole purpose of these policy announcements is bluntly, in a campaign sense, not about policy. It's to create a media hook to allow you to put the next chapter of your story out there, to say yet another thing about the thing you were talking about yesterday and that you're talking about all week. That is, that is the chapter in the book you are trying to write for the election. Do, do either of you have examples that come to mind of campaigns that have, and maybe not the whole campaign, maybe it was the first couple of weeks or the end, but like that have nailed that narrative and nailed that story piece? Oh, I think the wild rose in 2012 really nailed, nailed the, the narrative and setting of the question. You know, it was basically, aren't you tired of the PCs? And the, you know, the, everything that they did kind of, made people remember how much they disliked the PCs. Um, And Kenny did the same thing in 2019, right? Like he absolutely set the whole story. The entire, the the reason you aren't employed, the reason you don't have enough employment is because you uh, were screwed by the NDP, right? This had nothing to do with world oil prices. This had nothing to do with uh, your companies. This had everything to do with with Rachel Notley and the, and the NDP. And because both of those stories were set so well, and people could see themselves in those characters, um, both of those campaigns, oh no, hold on. Uh, in Wild Rose <laughs> wound up shitting the bed. I, yeah. I was misremembering that. Oh, that's right. Because we then set a new story, which was you can't trust them. They're crazy. And that story replaced the, the previous story. But I'll tell you, we were losing. We were going to lose until the last 10 days of that campaign. Yeah. And then Rob Anderson really came through for us. And uh, it's real MVP for you. Yeah. Really spectacular work. Rob. You know, it's uh, I, I think the big one that you've missed of recent times is Donald Trump in 2016. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. He, he made it about make America great again. The fact of the matter is, as little as you might like that, as much as you might think that it's wrong, and that was not, you know, the the reality of America at the time, and that perhaps there were racial connotations, perhaps there were all sorts of things in there that were just kind of ugly components. At the end of the day, you knew what Donald Trump's campaign was about, and you did not know what Hillary Clinton's campaign was about. Yeah, I got in a lot of trouble when I started talking about this after Redford's win. 
but I'm going to do it again anyways, because that's, that's the way I roll. But there's something that becomes mythical about these stories. Um, really good stories take on this mythical approach and they become larger than the truths that support them. And, and it's one, you know, a lot of people try and then slay the truth, you know, the fact that the truths don't actually support the story all the time. You're never going to, to defeat a story because it's not 100% true, right? The Princess Bride is a great story. It's not true. There are no rodents of unusual size. Um, b- but, you know, it doesn't matter. It's a great freaking story, and I can see myself in it. You know, I, I've i identified with uh, Princess Buttercup right from the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were going to say that, too. Like, I yeah, just I I want you to know that. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what makes it good. Uh, Carter, do you want to just talk a little bit more about 2012? And I think specifically we have some new listeners um, that maybe weren't weren't around in 2012 and don't know what you're talking about. So I, we, it doesn't need to take a lot of time. Um, but do you want to just talk, expand a little bit more on what you've been saying about how Wild Rose was doing great with the narrative and then you came in and turned everything around? What? <laughs> Are you are you teasing me now, or is this something you no, actually want th- me to do? Did that sound so, like I was teasing you? That it was sounded a very like you were like, question. no, Stephen, why don't you tell us once again how you were so great and Corey only won four seats? Um, five, five, it's five okay. seats. I, I always forget yeah. Ross Sherman because I never know which party he was with. Um, <laughs> okay, well, but t- t- tell people which parties. <laughs> Corey were... was running the Liberal campaign. I was running the PC campaign. Uh, the Wild Rose campaign was run by. Um, I think Vitor was running that one. Oh, oh yeah, Flanagan well, I, and Vitor. Yeah, yeah and, it was a t- tag but, team. Yep. But Rob Anderson was was keenly involved as the caucus chair of the campaign or something along those lines. And the Wild Rose had just kicked our ass all the way through. And they came to um, the you know we had we had basically we were at the p- top of the mountain in January and we started going downhill in February. And by the time we called the election in in uh, I think it was March, um, we'd presented our budget. We'd we'd told the people that we were going to take care of them, and the people responded with a resounding yawn. They did not think that the plans and the strategies that we'd put forward were particularly good. And, mo- and the and Wild Rose basically took the, the oldest yarn in the book of it's time for a change, and they threw it out there. Their story was they've been there for 40, 42 years or whatever the number was at that time, and they've gotten old, they've gotten stale, and you don't like them. And all they had to do was, you know, be competent. And for the first, I mean, we shit the bed right off the bat. We had one of the staffers say that she, uh, oh, that Danielle yeah. Smith didn't understand, didn't understand uh, children's issues. Because she doesn't have children. Yeah. She's that, a stepmother. Um, if you're wondering, not a great start. Uh, that took four days out of the campaign right off the bat. Uh, then we got into... Um, a whole bunch of other problems as we were moving through. Like every day was another problem. And I can't remember all of them, but it literally was every day. And then our campaign team was baffled by the numbers because we'd never seen numbers like this. We'd never seen numbers so low for the PCs. And so they didn't, they didn't know how to respond. Right. The, the, um, and then they got to, you know, the actual, uh, when we were throwing everything against the wall, I mean, we talked about Corey's, uh, we were trying to basically create a story that they were extremists and untrustworthy. Mm-hmm. And then Corey in his infinite wisdom put up a website that put quotes from our caucus against quotes from their caucus. Mm-hmm. I had to guess and which could, one. 
Yeah. You could, could not tell. Yes. I mean, it was all, yeah. it was all, all of our caucus quotes were done by Ted Morton, but nonetheless. <laughs> it was, a, um, it was an early social media hit though. Tory or Wild Rose. Yeah. Dot CA. And it was sounds a like conference. a good, brilliant, yeah. brilliant yeah. piece of work. Of course, good at those websites. Yeah. Yeah. It was a brilliant piece of work. Um, and then we, we struggled to find, like we were throwing everything we could against the wall. Like, we, we had background on Link Byfeld and, you know, all these all these different uh, candidates, no one was biting. And then out of nowhere comes Lake of Fire. Uh, Blake Roberts in Winnipeg found it and put it up on Twitter and Paula Simons grabbed it. And uh, the rest is, as they say, history. Now, she could have spiked that two days in, but she managed to keep it going for uh, 10 days. The The mayors came in, uh, and Stephen Mandel and uh, Nahid Nenshi came in and, and said that the Wild Rose couldn't govern if they had this type of people in their caucus. And it was by the time they threw them out of cock, uh, off the team, it was way too late. So the the narrative of we're ready to take over, essentially, was completely undone by that, by that frame. Corey, anything else you wanted to add there about your memories of 2012? I mostly try to forget it. Uh <laughs> No, I mean it was it was an interesting campaign. I can tell you that um Allison Redford had an interesting place on the spectrum. So before Allison Redford was ele- the Liberals elected their leader a month before the Conservatives elected their leader. Uh the PCs elected their leader and everyone thought Gary Marr was going to win the PC leadership. Uh, obviously it went to Allison Redford. And I can tell you um both an anecdote and a stat. The anecdote is the night that Allison Redford won, I was at a party with a bunch of liberals mm-hmm. and they were cheering. And I remember thinking, well, we are well and truly fucked uh, because <laughs> this is a party event and people are celebrating Allison Redford's victory. So that's the anecdote. Yeah. The hard stat is the liberals dropped in the polls from about 22, 23% to 11, 12% mm. overnight as that support went to Allison Redford. Now, um, the, the that 11% never came back. Uh, what happened was Redford then, by moving more towards the center, more towards the left, relatively, surrendered a fair bit to the Wild Rose. And the contest became about the Wild Rose versus the PCs, and the PCs shut out everyone else. Um, the, the election ended, I think, with the Liberals getting like 10 or 11% of the vote and the NDP getting 1% behind that. Uh, but it was really a contest between the uh, Wild Rose and the PCs. And so as like as somebody who was running the campaign for, we knew we were going to be the third party well in advance. Like the Wild mm-hmm. Rose were pulling ahead of the, the Liberals for quite some time. But uh, it was a survival election. It was like, what do you keep? And we did manage to get all of our incumbents reelected. But um, yeah, we had an entirely different set of problems. And, uh, you know, our main strategy there was really about trying to avoid Stephen's ballot question, right? Mm-hmm. And so this is where the thrust and the parry comes in. And so we were trying to make it clear that there wasn't a ton of... Di- and you're right, like Ted Morton was half of our quotes on that fucking Corrier <laughs> Wild Rose thing. Um, <laughs> but we were trying to say there's not really a difference. If you actually want change, you've got to go with us. Um, now, did that work? No. Uh, but that was that was our attempt to wrestle the ballot question away, just as Stephen at the same time was trying to make one about, you know, the competency of the Wild Rose, just as the Wild Rose was trying to make one overall about you're tired of these guys, it's time yeah. for change. And I, had we kept our original brand position, I think we would have had a much easier time of it. But by the time we got to April of, 20, uh, of 2012, 
the brand position that we had in, in 2011 of, you know, mother of a young daughter, daughter of aging parents, um, we'd abandoned because Allison just didn't want to be that brand. And I think that that's one of the challenges of, of election campaigns is that sometimes your candidate doesn't want to fit the role that is best for the election. And again, I worry about both Danielle Smith and Rachel Notley in this. Uh, both of them are very strong women who have their own ideas about how they wish to be perceived. And that's great. Got to be authentic. We've talked about being authentic a lot, but you've got to be authentic in a role that people actually want to vote for. Being authentic in a position that people don't want to vote, that person's called a loser. And, you know, it, you can be authentic all you want if you lose. But. So what what are those brand stories this time around? Like if, if you're simpling, simplifying it as much as you did for Redford of mother of a daughter, daughter of aging parents, what are those for uh, Smith and Notley this time around? Well, I was chatting with a friend today and we were talking about what, um, you know, if the UCP, like I feel like the UCP is sliding right now and the UCP is sliding because they've, they've somehow managed to take their, their core issues and push them off to the side and talk about healthcare and talk about. I, I cannot believe the, you know, kind of the base level malfeasance right now with yeah. them spending so much time on ground where the answer is actively the NDP. Yeah. So they, they, but I, you know, my, my theory was, you know, and then we used this a lot with Jeff Davison's campaign because Jeff Davison's campaign in Calgary in in twenty twenty one was so bad that we just kept saying, "Well, they're not this bad. We're going to have to, you know, we'll have to see, you know, they'll they'll pull it out at some point mm -hmm. and they'll do what's right." And I think that that's where we are with the Wild Rose. The Wild Rose brand position is that we protect the economy. I'm sorry, Wild Rose. UCP. UCP's brand position is we protect the economy. The NDP's brand position is we protect you and your family. Those two brand positions then fall into whatever story we wish to tell. Mm -hmm. But the, the, the you have to, if you're the NDP, you have to believe that the UCP isn't so bad that they're going to go five more weeks without go, without pivoting back to the economy. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's, you know, Corey's mentioned, it's, it's just kind of unbelievable that we would see these two uh, campaigns or the, at least the UCP campaign, kind of so structurally bad at this point, but you cannot prepare for them to continue to be this bad. And you don't prepare for them if they're going to continue to be like th this bad anyways. If they're bad, you just ignore them. You don't yeah, you respond don't, to them. You, know, you don't need to change your strategy. There's an adage that it's it's not a very good strategy if it depends on the other guys. Mm -hmm. yeah. and, and I think that's very true. And um, if the UCP want to spend all their time talking about healthcare, that's fantastic. It doesn't need to change your strategy if you're the NDP. You can keep talking about healthcare. And in fact, they're just going to amplify it because, again, people more naturally trust the NDP than the UCP on healthcare. And if the UCP want to make this election all about healthcare, I mean, Stevens already said this. They will lose if that's mm -hmm. what we're talking about at the end of the election. The NDP are going to win this election. So going back... Um We've talked about this for a while, guys, but just going back to this, the, the next seven days, like this week, what about the leader specifically? Um, do you, what do you want your leader doing in the seven days before? And does that mean like in the media every single day or like what, what should they be doing? And then I guess we can talk a little bit about when there's um, maybe things that you didn't predict, like uh, an illness. 
Well, what I want them doing is whatever they're told. What I don't want them doing is trying to call the play from the bus. Um, there, so you, in campaigns, you're in the bubble or you're out of the bubble. And most people are in the bubble, right? Because we care more about the campaign than the general population does. So everybody who's working on the campaign is in a bubble of a sort, but then there's really in the bubble and there is nothing more in the bubble than being on the leader's tour bus, being on the leader's Mm -hmm. tour bus. You only hear the negative. You do not understand what's going on with the bigger picture. You're not even seeing necessarily the media hits or anything like like that you might get clippings you might be shown you know what uh people you know think is important at that particular moment but you're not you're just not getting the fullness of of how things are going or how things are feeling and yet nonetheless most candidates um call the ball they want to they want to be in charge of how the campaign is unfolding they think that you know their instincts are what got them to this place and they're not going to uh, suddenly become just somebody who sits on the sidelines and waits to be told what to do. But the, in, in province-wide campaigns, there is no other way to do it. You have to listen to your team. And if you don't trust your team, get a different team. Because there's no means of, of success without putting your trust in the people who are not blinded by the bubble. Corey, I'll ask you the same question because Carter didn't answer it. Um, what? <laughs> no, he just, he just at all. I, said a whole different I answered thing. it in a uh, way that you didn't like. But what <laughs> do, do you want your leader doing media every day this week, Corey? Yeah, you know, I was racking my brain as Stephen was going on as he does, and mm-hmm. I was trying to remember what what I have done in the weeks before a campaign, you know, like what, and, and I honestly can't remember. And part of that is actually because of the division of labor Stephen was talking about, you know, the campaign managers got campaign manager stuff to do. The leaders got leader stuff to do. And if everybody's doing their role, things move a little bit smoother here. The answer is fundamentally uh, about need and every campaign is going to have different needs. So is money a little light? Well, then the leaders probably work in the phones with donors, especially, you know, in an environment where you can get, you know, those big donors, like the three, $4,000 that mm-hmm. you need to just fuel the campaign. Are you a little worried about candidates? That's not going to be the case for either of these two parties this time, but you, then you try to go out and drum up the last of the candidates you need and, and figure all of that out. There are a couple of nuts and bolts things that the leader has no business being involved in. And any time free and any time you get the opportunity, you also want to be setting the stage for the campaign. It is true that people will pay more attention during the campaign, but outside of the campaign period, the week they're going to be paying the most attention, week before the campaign period. So you do treat it as a bit of campaign light. You're building up to it. You're trying to create this sense of momentum. Lots of process stories about what the parties are doing in the lead up to an election gets very meta in that sense. And you try to hook onto those as best you can. And quite often, if you're sitting there and you've got your calendar to almost the start of where this was, and you're looking at those 28 days and you've got 35 days worth of stuff to do, well, then you're going to spend this week doing those other seven days of things, right? You're going to pull it out. And even though it's not in the campaign, it's not, you know, it's pre-launch. It's not the high value stuff. You want to structure it along those ways. But you start telling that story and start building towards the things that you want to say. And and really, truly, there's just not enough hours in the day. I, I, the leader, like the campaign manager, like any of the campaign staff will just be saying, oh, shit, I don't, I don't have enough to get done. Everything that I want to get done. The other thing I'll say 
is there's a very practical thing that occurs the week before a campaign when you're an elected official, and that's cleaning up a lot of shit. You know, mm-hmm. like you've got offices, you've got files, you've got things you've got to take care of in case you don't come back. And, um, or if you do come back, it's in a very different context and, and you've just got to deal with all of that. Uh, usually you would do that through your staff, but some stuff you just can't. So you got to manage that too. Hey, do I get a chance to answer that one or? Yeah. Be, no, <laughs> because you just had like a really large sigh. It's the mic is yours. Carter, take it away. Here, here's what it is. You're never going to give up the opportunity. Right now it's a campaign. The, the fact that the writ hasn't been dropped is irrelevant. Yeah. There is, uh, this is it. This is the campaign period. Um, this is the uh, unintended consequence of the fixed election dates. Um, we can have a, a bigger, broader conversation on that uh, at some other time, but this is what the people wanted. This is what the people got. Now we have a longer campaign period, and that's just the way it is going to go. So, you know, th- they're campaigning 24-7 from now until, um, unless the writ somehow didn't drop. But this is this is it right till the end. So glad you jumped in and said that, Carter. It's I'll tell so you something. Insightful. My first answer, way better, way better. Um, how I, I answer the questions that you should be asking. That's the same thing with Corey, or with Corey and Zane. It's true. It's not true. Um, it, it's 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 an intense thirty-five days, as both of you have said. How do you go about keeping people healthy during those thirty-five days? Hmm. You don't. Oh, God. I mean, yeah. ultimately, the thing about campaigns in general, which I think makes them very interesting relative to a lot of things that occur in the corporate world, uh, even happen in politics and, and longer lead like party senses and whatnot, is they're not built for distance, right? They are built to survive 28 days, 35 days. You you have fairly ramshackle processes and procedures, including ways to deal with like your own personal health and sanity. Now, one of the things that was super interesting about the 2015 campaign, federally, not provincially, was how long it was. You'll recall Stephen yeah. Harper called it, and there was just months before this particular campaign. And one of the things we talked about at the time was you could see people starting to lose their mind about halfway through. And it was just too long to have one team running, you know, red line that long, and they needed to kind of swap them out. But the reality is you should probably be able to manage 28, 35 days hope they're going into this somewhat well rested. Um, and I hope that they've somewhat time managed themselves because there is just this phenomenon that any campaigner will know, which is like, you don't even want to sleep. You realize you feel so acutely every hour that goes by, uh, that you are not doing something productive. And, uh, you know, you're working 16 hour days plus trying to get things done. Um, that's why campaigns in Canada, I think aren't longer. And, Mm. And so, uh, in terms of how are you trying to pace yourself, how are you trying to manage your health, your sleep schedule, all of that? I mean, I don't know, Stephen. Maybe you've got different thoughts, but in my experience, you don't, right? You live this unhealthy, to-the-wall lifestyle, and you hope that somebody around you is sane enough at any time to be that break on your judgment. Usually they're not, though. And that's part <laughs> of why we have said in the last... I've, I've said this so often... Stephen's heard me say this a million times. In the last week, a campaign runs against itself. Hmm. And part of that is because everybody is so tired and so prone to mistakes and so in that bubble he was talking about that they can no longer see reason and they no longer act reasonably. 
Yeah, the, Corey's not wrong on the whole health thing. I mean, you're going to go 35 days straight. You're going to work 16-hour days for those 35 de- days, and you're going to be exhausted. Uh, you're going to get sick, and you will power through it. And then after the campaign, you are going to get so sick, you think you're going to die. Because your body, <laughs> your body just beats the shit out of you. Yeah, you're um, running but- on stress and adrenaline. Yeah. There are there are a few lessons that that have been learned. Number one, feed the campaign team. Um, the campaigns that don't feed their team wind up, you know, with with even sicker group of people. Uh, so food is usually brought in um, by, you know, smart campaigns uh, at least twice a day. Um, sometimes there's breakfasts, but more more often than not, there's not breakfast. But you need the food to come in because people will not go out to eat. Yeah. They will stay where they are because they have shit to get done. And then they will find out, you know, hours later that they've made a horrible mistake because they are now exhausted and they're going to collapse right here on the floor. And when was the last time you ate? What is eating? I don't even know what that is anymore. So bringing in food is is one of the key ways. And bringing in the right food. Like, Jesus, you know, you can't just eat Subway for, for the better part of... Uh, um, you know, a m- month and a you know month plus. You have to have decent food. You have to have it in reasonable quantities. Um, I like you know if you have the money and it's and a provincial campaign does a little catering contract to a small company can, can go a long ways. I'll tell you the best food, Surrey. I could go back to Surrey tomorrow. The food is unbelievable. It was not I'm Subway. Still every day. I'm still trying <laughs> yeah, to lose this weight. Still trying to lose it. Yeah, shots fired against Subway. Yeah. I didn't think C- you were going to go with Subway. Corey looked really upset about that when you said you can't eat Subway for 35 well, days. You know what, Corey? I was respecting your desire to eat at 7-Eleven um, because I believe you ate at 7-Eleven every day of the 2012 campaign. Prove me wrong. I, I can't. I, I mean, uh-huh. I honestly can't. That was yeah. uh, that was a pretty strong staple of mine. Yep. Okay, so on, on the illness thing, um, it, it it has been reported that Rachel Notley has COVID right now. Um, Timing-wise, and, and I, I guess there's two questions here. One, does COVID change the kind of what you guys are talking about because of isolation and not being around people and stuff? And two, timing-wise, if you were to get COVID over the next 35 days, is now the best possible time to get it out of the way? Better now. The next week, better last week than this week. Uh, you know, it's unfortunate for Rachel Notley, but there is a lot she can do remotely still. A lot of interviews, a lot of phone calls. Uh, I should also probably try to rest up and get over that, you know, but um, that's, a, that's a tough break. Could be a lot tougher if it happened a week or two later. Yeah, I agree. I think that this is the week to get sick. I mean, you don't want to be sick, but if you're going to be sick, this is the time to get sick. Uh, I mean, especially given that Danielle has not been seen in the media for the better part of a week anyways. So you're not really, you know, giving much up at this moment. You do not want to stay sick. You want to get healthy as soon as humanly possible. Okay. Last question here is money. What does like the spending look like this week in terms of before um, rules kick in? That I mean... <laughs> It depends on how much money you have. If you've got enough for the entire campaign, then you are trying to shovel as much money out the door as this week as you possibly can to soften the ground, to do the advertising you want to do, uh, to, to just take advantage of the fact that you are not currently covered by the campaign finance limits, right? The campaign spending limits, I mean. 
Um, if you don't, then you are probably sweating bullets about money and you're thinking about how you can get it. And you're thinking about how much you can reasonably expect to raise during the campaign. And you're looking at the lines of credit that the party's got available, if any. And uh, of course, it's so dependent on finance rules these days. And, uh, you know, you, you've got to consider all of that. Um, but as our friend Stephen likes to say, money is the currency of politics. You got to have it. You got to spend it. Good job there, Corey. I'm I'm proud of you. You know, we'll sell some more mugs today. <laughs> yeah, can, can people we'll buy? That's mugs. a good thing, Carter. Can people purchase it somewhere? They can. If you go to westofcenter.ca, you can buy <laughs> your... What, what's it on? What, it's, what on it's, it's on a coffee cup. It's actually my favorite mug. It's a really good it mug. It is. It's a really yeah. nice mug. It's the better mug of the two mugs. I mean, yes, is that true? We have more than one mug. Yes, we, we do. have, In fact, three, we have mugs. three. Yeah, Three mugs. The third mug is the uh, left-handed mug. That's right. um, so, you know, get in there, get that mug early. The, um, these are real for people listening who think this is a joke. Go to westofcenter.ca, find out for yourself. Yeah, you can also get them at thestrategist.ca, but I don't know no, why you No, but send would. them to westofcenter.ca yeah. because the CBC is paying for this one. Um, <laughs> where was I? Oh, money. Yeah, I'm spending Currency everything politics. I can. Yeah. Um, I would look. I would look at how much money they tradition. You know, our party traditionally raises in the last four weeks of a campaign, and I would bank on that. We are going to raise that, and everything else is out the door. Um, we have spent every nickel that we can legally spend uh, prior to the writ. So, what what are you spending that? What are you spending that money on this week? Primarily advertising, because anything that isn't advertising is going to carry forward. So you you may have, um, yeah, advertising is going to be the primary space. And I think it's you can see be. that digital, you know, Corey's uh, complaining about seeing too many ads. Um, you know, th- that's where a lot of these things are going to, apparently he can't, he can't afford um, YouTube premium, but you know, <laughs> I'm not here. <laughs> I, you, you, I think about it every now and then, and then I think, nah. why? Why would I got, you I got do that? so many other things. Exactly. I got that Disney Plus subscription. <laughs> yeah. You know, he's got three you know what? kids. Carter. I was going to cancel. I, I I bought Disney Plus because I was going to cancel Netflix. Still have Netflix, but don't uh, tell Heather because she doesn't know. I think she does not listen to this podcast <laughs> yeah. ever. Also, your your daughter is our producer. So, yeah. <laughs> you think that Maddie's going to rat me out? Who do you, who do you th- who, who do you think, think uses the Netflix? Who uses yeah. the Netflix the most? <laughs> yeah. That's exactly what Maddie's doing. In fact, she's probably watching Netflix right now. Right now, yeah. Yeah, yeah. sensible. Uh, yeah. Okay, so you're spending all your money right now this Every week nickel. on ads. Okay. Everything yeah. you got. Well, you know, the challenge with spending it on anything else is that the way it, it, it has to be accounted for is essentially like if you put a sign up now and it runs for the next five weeks, 80% of that cost counts against your uh, your campaign finance limits anyhow. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's it's when the materials are used is the general is the general calculation. Yeah. So you can't like stock up on buttons and then hand them out during the rate. Yeah. The writ, right. You have, you have to, to do it right now. Yeah. You have to. Yeah. You have to spend it and, and it has to be gone before the writ drops. OK. Um, OK. We're going to leave it there. And uh, you know what? We're going to move into like a, a 42. Like, again. <laughs> wow. I don't Belgium know what I'm doing. We're going to really move Belgium, into like it. a lightning round that maybe has a couple extra questions. How, how oh, was that 40 minutes? You guys were saying, you were saying such good things, such oh, important, oh my God. She, insightful she things. Up. Like, Both does she you. actually think our, our egos need a stroke? <laughs> like, that's the part that confuses me. Does that, yeah, is that what she's thinking? Yeah. Um, how are we going to do this? Okay, lightning round. Guys, 
We're going to talk about the Alberta party once again in our lightning I round. Just, I can't We're doing it. why. What are we um, doing? Okay, this is why. I don't know if you saw it. Uh, you were probably doing something at 8 p.m. on Any, Saturday night when this tweet important. went out. But yeah. um, they sent a tweet. It says this. We've been getting a lot of messages asking why we want something called a vote split. We would like to reassure Albertans that we will not be splitting our votes oh with God. any other party. That would be weird. Thank you. And then it has a graphic that is some beautiful mountains. And it says we hashtag love Alberta all one word. Like this is an actual tweet that went out from the Alberta party accounts. I mean, inspired by Stephen Carter. It yeah, like. this is the most well, upsetting part. Yeah. So, it, so that's what I guess the lightning yeah. round question here is... Um, I don't. I don't even know what the question. Is. Like, what are they doing? What? Well, why are they tweeting this? Are they just trolling you, Carter? Well, no. They. They. So they're the big pushback that they're getting right now is why are you running at all? This is such an important election. We simply cannot have uh, Danielle Smith win. You can't take any votes away from from the NDP. And their response has been my response, which is there is no such thing as vote split. Which and, is wrong. Yeah, it's wrong. Keep going. You can keep it's talking, not but wrong. it's wrong. Um, keep talking. I'm going to tell you I'll why it's it not up. wrong. Okay. Everybody sure. starts with zero votes. Oh, right? okay. Everybody starts with zero. And then you add them because you don't have to vote for anybody in speci- you know, specifically. And there is absolutely nothing that would indicate that a vote that went to the Alberta party would have gone to the NDP if there hadn't been an Alberta party. In fact, all the evidence would point to the fact that the vote would not have gone uh, to the NDP, because if because everybody knows the stakes in this election, everybody knows that this election is a battle between the NDP and the UCP, and they are still choosing, as I used to choose the Green Party, to park my vote in Calgary East, um, because I just couldn't vote for Deepak O'Brien. Like arguing for I, vote splitting now. No, it no. What you're describing is is a lower number. It is just simply when when we have three or more candidates, we have a lower win number. You do not need 50% plus one. Corey, that Corey is giving you so much attitude right now. We should be recording video. This is like it's like your That's dad I, and he's I, like a teenager and he's just like I there's roll. There's no I roll, such I roll, thing as vote split. If 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 you could tell me that the NDP would get that vote if they didn't vote for this other party, then maybe. But there is absolutely nothing to indicate that that's actually how it works. His eyes I mean, are just is... closed now because he's been rolling them so much. Yeah, they, well, I think I'm, I detached a retina. It was just too <laughs> yeah. much. It's just, I mean, Carter and I have had this argument for as long as I've known Stephen Carter, which this is sadly a long for vote. a yeah. very long time at this point. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, we're well into our second decade of, of uh, familiarity here. Of arguing. Fuck friendship me. of friendship. Yeah, let's not go nuts. But <laughs> the the idea that there's no such thing as vote splitting is absurd. Like like no, in general not. and in specific. Let's talk about it in specific first. How could we possibly know? Well, people poll on this. What's your first choice? What's your second choice? I do know that last election, I think almost to your point, the Alberta Party was taking rather equally from the UCP and the NDP. Oh. On the whole, Weird. Yeah. when you get into specific writings, that, that math breaks down a little bit here. You can check on it this time, too. The reality is the Alberta Party is polling so low, it, it's hard to say. But why bother, ele- why bother running the election when we've got these great polls? Why bother at all? I mean, the polls are also available prior to. 
the election, right? So that's right? the specifics. So people could actually wrong, choose not to. That, that you treat the idea no. of where would these Alberta Party votes go like no, cavemen treated lightning. What any. is this? How could we know? You know, that's ridiculous. Second, if you truly believe there's nothing <laughs> called vote splitting. There is nothing you, called vote splitting. You truly splitting. believe there's not a thing called vote not splitting. Not a thing called vote splitting. I would encourage you next time there's an election to run five candidates on the same platform and see what the fuck happens. Yeah, here's what happens. One of them will win and the others will lose. No, the sixth candidate I didn't talk about will win because the vote was split <laughs> no, that's just between bullshit. the other five. There's absolutely Carter, no do you, evidence that Do you that genuinely that. believe that is this? absolutely or- no Absolutely. You, you genuinely know who believes, believes this. It's not just you know something believes, you're double downing on because it's like your shtick. I mean, he's been no. doubling down for 15 years on this. There is, just there is no such thing as vote split. And the reason I know, I mean, the, the, the people who believe in vote split are always the losers. The people who couldn't quite get over the number of votes that were required say, oh, my God, if we had just taken those votes from over there at that other party. I'll tell you who's not complaining about vote split. The guy who won with 42% of the vote. The guy who won with 42% of the vote is saying, oh, that's fucking fantastic. That's great news. I've got 42% of the vote. I don't give a shit that my my vote win number was lowered. That's all that's happening. Your vote win number is lowering. So in 2015, so in 2015, the NDP won. They did. I mean, they did, although I seem to hear you say all of the time what actually happened is that the NDP didn't win. They've got to acknowledge the conditions are not there. At our live fucking show, you talked about a vote split. You no, talked I about. I talked about a lower win number. Oh, my God. That's just all a right. lower different win word number. For, like, no, it's not. Semantics. It's how you approach. This is why okay, I win. How, and like how is the lower win number different than a vote split? Well, imagine that you're trying to uh, answer the question, Carter. How is it different? <laughs> how is it different? How are they it's two different, different things? Be- because they're totally different. Because <laughs> all it is not answering. <laughs> because in all. a vote, sp- oh god, in a vote split, you're assuming you know where the other votes go. Okay, and you don't. That's bullshit reasoning. It has no evidence in fact. I mean, and- again, can easily poll on it. Keep going. No, it that put, you keep putting polling in as though that it's substitute for voting. It's not. All if right. people wanted the NDP to win, they w- would move their votes over. If they All want right. the UCP to win, and you know what's going to happen, Corey, Mister Smartass, the Alberta Party is going to have a historically low voter number because. People know that this election is primarily between the UCP and the NDP, and they are going to choose to support the NDP or the UCP because they have the ability not to split the fucking vote. Is, they it, vote for who they want to fucking vote for. All right. Corey. Listen, okay. Got a question for you because yeah. you, you clearly thought this out and are not just rambling. Uh, so I want to I unpack this a little more. Uh, when the uh, PCs and the Wild Rose merged... Right. Was that like a, a combination of votes, would you say? No, it was a combination of political parties. They didn't have any votes when they fucking merged. <laughs> like, I mean, I don't even understand what you're talking about. There's I no mean, votes in a fucking know. merger. I think you know. Like, no, the, what are, they did is they took two parties and they said, you they know what, we'll be better off. The vote. They, they unsplit will be, the vote. No. And they then would, they won an election. They, I... No, they didn't. Un- well, they, 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 what they did is they changed the win number and they attracted <laughs> both sides. You just used 
Okay. Can you can you describe to us on. what a windmill is? We gotta is? move on. I'm dying. We gotta no, move on. No, this is <laughs> okay. foundational. So the the lightning round question there was. The people know. <laughs> do you? There, what's this? Is the lightning round? <laughs> the lightning round. The lightning round. This question is the lightning round about the Alberta party tweet was: Do you love or hate that that tweet? Oh my God, where are we on this whole fucking show right now? I love that it's okay. tweet. That tweet was my favorite tweet ever. <laughs> Next, do you lady. love that tweet as much as they hashtag love Alberta? Just <laughs> Almost curious. that much. Okay. Uh, one word, no space in between. Love Alberta. Um, next question, lightning round is um, what is it? Oh, Ottawa guys, Ottawa is going to create a new position. I don't know if you've heard, but a nightmare. They're going to have a nightmare um, who's going to develop Ottawa's nightlife economy. Because yeah. they want people to think of Ottawa as, you know, a fun, cool, hip place. Um, nightmare. Oh, yeah. Are you guys As we all our, do. Yeah. Are you, like, other cities have done it. It's not new. Yeah. Um, new York yeah. has one, Amsterdam, et cetera, et cetera. In or out, good idea or bad idea? Nightmare. Corey, you want well, to if there's ever been a city that needed some desperate attention to its nightlife it probably is ottawa uh not the liveliest place there's uh you know there's pockets but generally speaking uh, pretty challenged i think i'm generally out i don't really i don't really get it i do understand other cities have done it but you've rattled off for example new york who is the current nightmare of new york does anybody know bob no okay. Frank, i don't know al yeah, because I feel like they're not actually that that relevant to so, to sort of like discourse. Now, to be fair, they're I think by office pretty inwardly focused on like mm-hmm. you know you know the mayor mayor. But mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, in general, there are two reasons why you create like a a position that is that is you know like a czar position that everybody can deal with there and everybody can uh, it can cut across things is one is because nobody's really responsible for nightlife which is fair i guess and i imagine it cuts across a fair number of things um and i i guess maybe that's why but like what do the powers of a nightmare look like i just i can't really picture yeah. who who give him him or her the ability to actually govern i mean this is what my objection is He's not he or she isn't the mayor. The mayor's the mayor. And this is this is not like we have, you know, we don't call the the head of the Calgary Economic Development um the economic development mayor. We don't call the, you know, the person who's running the tour, tourism Calgary the tourism mayor. You know, we have titles for those people. Why wouldn't you just create a nighttime, you know, czar used to be the, the, the language that we used to use when we were creating these kind of interagency uh, departments. Why wouldn't we just create um, the, you know, the, uh, what do we call them? The, you know, the, the executive, uh, the commissioner of nightlife, you know, like, I just don't understand why you need to call them the mayor. It's just, yeah. we don't, we don't have mo- multiple mayors. We elect one mayor, um, whether they're effective or not, apparently. So one mayor gets elected, they get to stay as the mayor. So you you, you have okay a problem there? with the you have a problem with the title. The title should yeah, be I mean, commissioner. I I think that it's great that we're, that Ottawa is trying to you know generate something vaguely resembling a nightlife. I think Calgary should follow in its in its footsteps. Uh, you know we've had a conversation about a uh, uh, entertainment district for so long. One almost would think we had one. Um, but we don't, and so we should get one. Edmonton, though, should should should, should not. Uh, Edmonton should not do that okay. for I think obvious reasons. Okay. Uh, 
No okay. one wants to be outside in Edmonton. It's cold and gross. Wow. <laughs> okay. We've we've got some Edmonton listeners, Carter. So that was a not little anymore. Mean. Not <laughs> anymore. <laughs> They're gone now. Um, next lightning round question. Twitter guys. Oh, when, when come is on. it? When is it done? Done? Like when is it just over? Yeah, or he's I've got been the thinking. Of, I I don't. I honestly, I don't. Yes, I've you been do. thinking an awful lot about like there's this Hemingway quote about like how did you go bankrupt and he's like well two ways uh, gradually and then suddenly and I, it sort of feels like Twitter's that right now like we've been talking about it and we've been observing it's you know it's janky edits to its platform and these very weird things like Twitter blue and the ever changing policies that underpin the entire thing since Elon Musk took this thing over in October just kind of seeing this crud pile up you know api access cut off you name it like it's just it it's getting shittier bit by bit and it does feel like we're probably just one big moment away from the suddenly right where there's just a total flight and i don't know maybe this flight will happen over the over the uh you know verified check rebellion that we've seen over the past couple of days where where for those who don't know some like some totally surreal stuff's been going on this weekend the the previously verified members of twitter had their blue checks taken away last week us three us All three yes. not yeah. saying not, not saying yeah. but devil and three. but us three and um and then there was like this movement that occurred with a few people called block the blue where it was just like just start blocking the blue check marks, these people who are purchasing it. And it became almost a badge of shame to some people. And then the people who were being targeted by that got mad. And uh, and then they, were, they started blocking people the other way. And it kind of felt like the whole platform was at war with itself all weekend. Lots of weird stuff happening, kind of culminating with Elon Musk as punishment for his critics, giving them blue check marks, and then giving accounts that have a million blue check marks again. Like it's total chaos. It does feel like it's alienating. Um, you know, we don't need to detour too deep into it, but, you know, both sides seem to be confused by the other side's position. I think if you were previously verified, the idea that Twitter Blue is verified is a bit ridiculous. Like, I would imagine when we all went through it, like, had to give yeah. my ID, both sides, had to have web links showing that I did the job that I, you know, purportedly did. You know, there was, it was all sorts of, like, when did, rigor. When did you get it? Because I didn't have to do any of that. Oh, it was when I was became a government official in oh, 2016. Okay. Yeah. So, like, pointed them to the order and council and stuff wow. like this. Yeah, like, they reached out to me, but, like, um, but, you know, there was a rigor. Okay, sounds like you didn't have the rigor. But I, I was going to say, like, the idea that a phone number alone is enough to be verified as identity seems a bit weird. On the other side, people see it as, like, why, why are you... Why are you diminishing my checkmark now? You know, like, this is bullshit. You think you're so special. And and it just feels like the platform is just ripe for half of the platform to leave and or its lunatic owner to do something that truly foundationally breaks it. Like not letting people block people anymore or banning anybody who's blocked too many blue checks or something ridiculous like that. So yeah you know, gradually and then suddenly and i i don't know suddenly could be just around the corner it wouldn't take much it feels like at this point just you know what it would really take though an alternative and i still haven't seen a, a solid one of those so Corey, do you do you think now you're liking cbc's move any better no still don't okay our, still our don't bet is still my, on okay my problem was never that you know I wasn't arguing that twitter is good i was arguing that the action cbc took would look political 
And that remains the case. And, uh, you know, ultimately, if they're the first out, they'll look a little bit better if the whole thing collapses in the next month. But if it's hanging around six months from now and everyone's still using it, well, then I think that they're in a bit of trouble. Then our bet uh, keeps going. Carter, for, what? For those following along at home, that's called a reframe. And the reframe <laughs> was done by Corey Hogan at this uh, particular moment of this particular day. Uh, 9.54 p.m. Mountain. Yeah. yeah, to make himself sound a little smarter. And uh, I'm all here for it. I, I am all here for hey, it. Hey, man, run the tape. I said the problem is that it, it no, was seen no, as a political action. I, I am I am on you. I, I am agreeing, Corey. This is my agreeing face. It's the same one as my there's no vote split. <laughs> Carter, um, Carter is lighting yeah. round. Is Twitter oh. done done? Like, is it, is it the end? Oh, part of me hopes so. And part of me just ruse the day. I mean, I am so hopeful that it doesn't go kabuki. I I I still like it. Um despite hating it. You know, like it's 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 one of those that things means you, you just kind of don't like it. No, but you know what it's like 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 oh, I'm just going to see what's going on. I mean, there was something uh well, the, the you sent that note to me about the the terrible avalanche in uh, at Lake Louise. You know, what did I do? I hop onto Twitter. I quickly check out um you know what's what's happened uh who's involved what what the situation is and uh, you know that, 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 you know now i know it was unnecessary I exactly because was. i had information and i sent you a picture and an avalanche report you didn't need yeah, to but you didn't Twitter. know who you didn't know who who did it you didn't know you didn't know everything you didn't know who died i know who died it's a young 21 year old 20 year old that's tragic it's not very, very good sad. Very sad. Anyways, my simple point is this. Twitter uh, continues to to provide a service. Like, I haven't used... When was the last time you guys used Facebook? I don't have Facebook. You know, I I don't... We we have a Facebook account. I'm not old like you, Carter. It's old people that are on on Facebook these days. Yeah, I'll tell you something. Uh, Facebook didn't used to be old people. It is Uh, This is how things die now. Things don't die by going away. I mean, we, we, you know, Twitter may be around forever. Um... But who's using it may fundamentally change. I have this fantasy, and all right now it's a fantasy, of using it less. I would like to be there less. I would like to rely on it less. But to truly rely on it less, I would need to have an alternative that I could count on at any given moment. And your TikTok feed is not is not doing it for you. I'm not getting very much information at all off of my yeah. TikTok feed. <laughs> just, just there's traps. Okay. <laughs> We're- leave it there that's a wrap on episode 1053 of the strategist my name is annalise clingbeal with you as always Stephen carter and Corey hogan <laughs> <laughs>